So with me today is professional animal communicator Tracer Pierce, who is joining us from Boulder County in Colorado, as well as Elfina Luck, who portrayed Dawn in the episode, and also our our sound editors, Cat uh, Cooper. So welcome to all of you. It's great to have you. <laughs> nice to be here. Thank you. Hi. Great to be here. Thanks. Yes. Uh, in this episode, there's Cooper right there. Um, Gary has uh, established a really interesting premise in that um, through this very unique technology that we can suddenly hear the thoughts and conversations of these two animals, all three animals, um, in a bit of a fantastical uh, environment. Uh, but with us, of course, is Tracy, who has probably one of the most unique uh, professions as an animal communicator. So, Tracy, can you just talk to us about what that is? Sure. So, animal communication, you can also think about it as telepathic communication. So, we're, we are communicating with animals, but there are ways of using telepathic communication to you know, communi communicate with plants and other humans as well. So what telepathic communication really is, if you break down the word, tele is over a distance, uh, pathic is like empathy so or feeling. So feeling or empathy across a distance. So when I'm receiving messages from the animals, I mean, sometimes it is they're talking and blah, 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 blah. They're telling me a bunch of words. But a lot of times there are visual messages that come through as well. There's feelings, there's emotions. There's sensations in the body sometimes that they'll send. Sometimes they send smells or tastes. Sometimes it comes through just as an intuitive kind of knowing. And it's interesting because some people will have proficiency in maybe one of the senses. When I first started learning animal communication, I just received visuals and that was all. But as I got more proficient, I saw that it really is being able to meet the animal where they are at, because some animals are very visual. They'll send a lot of messages, but some animals, they will talk and talk and talk. Others will send feelings. So it's kind of telepathic communication is being able to take in all that input kind of at once and translate it into English for the human. Usually I'm translating it for a human. So that's really kind of the basic underlying premise for animal communication or telepathic communication. That's amazing. And Alfina, oddly enough, <laughs> you also have a bit of this talent. Is that correct? Yes. And I, I've really enjoyed listening to you share that, Tracy, because I it really kind of validates my experience. And I've learned kind of gradually over time and organically. And so I was discovering these abilities over a period of time and with different animals. Um, so that was really interesting to hear your perspective on that. Thank you for sharing that. When did you find that you had this talent? What, how did that, how did that present itself, Tracy? It was pretty much by accident, really. What happened was we, my husband and I had three cats and one of them got quite ill. We'd taken her to the vet and the vet just wasn't able to tell us what was going on. And I had gone to a meditation retreat and I met this woman who was an animal communicator and something was just like, ding, 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 you need to talk to her. And so the cat's name was Magoo. We set up uh, sessions with the animal communicator and Magoo. 
And what I noticed was as we started to do these sessions, I started to have all these memories about when I was a kid and how I would talk to the animals. And it really felt like something was just reawakening in me or remembering that I had had this ability. And, you know, as we get older, a lot of those things can get shut down for various reasons. And so what I did from there was I just started to take some really basic animal communication classes. And at that time, I was doing a lot of meditation and spiritual practices that were focused on awakening senses in the third eye, essentially. And I just had this idea of like, oh, I could apply these practices in the same way to animal communication. And I found a practice partner and it was really just, we we just wanted to have fun and learn how to communicate with our own animals better. And we started practicing every day. We did it for like a year and a half. Every day we would meet for an hour and practice and practice with all these different animals. And it, it just started to open. And I never had any intention actually of becoming an animal communicator. But after, I don't know, it was about a year and a half or two years, what started to happen was the animals we were talking to were like, Tracy, you need to start offering this to the public. Please help us. <laughs> uh, so it really was sort of at the animal's request that I kind of shifted my career path and started doing this professionally. So I feel like it was very much by accident, but also guided by the animals. Hmm. And Elfina, where did you kind of learn of this talent? Yeah, I similarly, it was, I had two dogs when I was younger and I just really, you know, I really loved Dr. Doolittle and the ability to communicate with animals. So it was something that I was already intrinsically interested in. So I started doing research because my, my intention was to be able to talk to my dog. And I actually got a book it was just a book, Seven Ways to Learn to Communicate with Animals. And I just started and I practiced and I was kind of amazed at how seamlessly I was able to move into that space. And so one of my um, best friends, she's an intuitive healer. And at the time we were kind of ex experiencing together with telepathy with each other. And so she had two dogs as well. So when she knew that I was starting to work on these abilities, she asked me to talk to her animals. And so where at first, of course, for myself, I don't know about you, Tracy, my thoughts are my own skepticism. Am I crazy? Is this real? Is this happening? Or, you know, I question that. But as I started to get to know different animals and their personal personalities, like you said, some just talk, 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 and you're just like, wow, bombarded. And others, they don't understand words. Then I have to try and find another way to communicate. So I, I move into images and that works, or I move into emotion and, and that's how they communicate. So then I started to really explore that world and how vast it was. So, um, and then from there, just, you know, with her experience in intuitive healing, she started recognizing her human client clients that had animals that needed help. And so she would send them my way. And so together we kind of worked in that, that, that way together. Mm. It's amazing. So from someone who has, does not have this ability, how does this actually present itself? Tracy, you were talking about like, send images. They were sending also so through words, but why is it that I can't hear it, but you can, how does that, how does that actually get communicated? Let's see. I think a part of it has to do with perhaps refinement of your of your senses because one of the things I found with 
some of the students that I've worked with, like I, I teach animal communication a little bit and sometimes they think they're not experiencing anything, but then you ask them what they are experiencing and, and they'll give you a list of, well, I feel this and this and this, but they, but they think it's not happening. If, if that makes any sense or, so I think what Alfina said about like working with her friend, like I did, I did the same thing with working with a friend so that we could have that validation back and forth because yeah, Ellen, at this point, maybe you, you feel like you're not communicating with animals, but just when Cooper was, the cat was in the, the room a little bit ago and he was indicating he wanted to go, like you, you said, you kind of had that feeling of like, oh, we know what he wants. He, he wants to go. He wants to do this. Well, that is sort of kind of a, a piece of telepathic communication that you are already receiving. So like I give, I feel like people do have these experiences of telepathic communication, but they don't always recognize them for what they are. For example, most people have had the experience of either thinking about a friend or maybe they have a dream about a friend that they haven't talked to in a really long time. And then a day or two later, that friend will call them or will text them. Like to me, that's another form of telepathic communication. We're just kind of catching these things that are in the ethers. And as far as learning it, it I feel like it is just more a refinement of being able to catch when you are receiving the messages because it feels like the messages are always kind of coming. It's, it's whether we're open to receiving them, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's your experience too, Alfina. I really, the word refinement is a really good way to put it. When my friend asked me, you, you know, um, how are you doing this? My response was, oh, anyone can just read this book. And it was so simple to me. You could do it. I could, you, I could lend you the book. You could go buy it and practice. But in her mind, she was like, I, I just don't have that ability. But she has that ability with humans. So where I feel like the separation lies is the, the desire and the passion to follow that which is really refinement, taking the time to put in the work to try and open up your senses to that area. And, and someone put it in a way once using the um, the word, your antenna. So you have, everyone, we have our antennas, but where are we pointing it? Are we going to point it towards animal communication? Or are we going to point it towards some other interest that our passion lies in? So I, I guess, you know, something I'm, you know, feeling with you, Tracy, is we both have a passion of the desire of wanting to understand our animals better. And that's what kind of started us on that path and then to move deeper into that. And then the more I find, the more that I uncover and refine it, the more I explore and the more I learn and the more I grow. So then that continues evolving on its own organically as well. Speak, carrying along with this this idea of, of the form of communication, you both have, have talked about, you know, certain animals, they'll just talk and talk and talk and talk mm -hmm. and talk. Uh, you've also mentioned, Tracy, that um, some, some animals um, don't necessarily understand English or, or no, you said that, Elfina. Um, so can you just talk about the use of language? and how that gets interpreted or communicated? I do feel like humans, we do get kind of stuck in this place of we must use our words in order to communicate. One of the things I found as I've advanced in animal communication is that I'm actually bringing some of these telepathic things that I'm doing into conversations with humans. So instead of just saying the words, I, I might emit a feeling also that kind of transmits to them. So I have found that using these elements of telepathic communication in addition to the English has actually helped me 
communicate better with other humans too. But to come back, I do feel like, yeah, like all the syntax and the, and the way language is put together can sometimes be a barrier to animals' understanding because I feel like animals respond more to energy rather than what the words mean. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, so, well, animals will sometimes say in sessions, you know, like my human is giving me commands, but they're giving me commands from their head. And so I can't tell what they're, what they're saying. I need for them to give the command from their belly energy, and then I will understand. So it's more like an energetic thing that animals understand. And I do feel like we humans can get in our head and we're out of our bodies so much that we do intellectualize language a bit too much. And I do feel like bringing some of these other elements that maybe are considered just telepathic communication into human to human communication also helps pass meaning even on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. So Elfina, when you say that some animals are really chatty, can you, what does that look like? It, the energy is very high. It's a high vibration. So it's very quick and, and it moves fast. Whereas I'm thinking of one particular, um, example or one session it was two animals that lived together and one was it was younger high energy whereas the other one it was less conversation I remember a question that was asked from the the owner was uh is, is he happy so I was like you know it was very early on so I would start with the language I say are you happy are you happy and nothing was happening I was like there's no landing this question isn't landing I'm like I don't think he, he's understanding what I'm saying I'm like happy happy so I'm like okay, well, I think I'm going to have to try a different way to communicate what happy means. So then I dipped into imagery and feeling, and it wasn't until I myself dropped into the feeling of a happy emotion that he responded. So then I recognized in that moment, using verbal language wasn't a way that was working with him. But if I can communicate in all these ways, so now when I I, I communicate, I guess with the experience I drop into all the levels of the language as well as the feeling, as well as the mental images. Anything that that word or the feeling that that emits, I I drop into that space. And then however that animal has to receive it, they will receive it in that way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And would you say that animals, for the most part, their main form of communication is physical uh, energy? Uh, so when you watch like dog trainers or or what have you, a lot of them talk very much about your physical presence. Your energy is what needs to be leading this conversation more so than your words. Is that is that correct or? It's interesting. I actually was a professional dog trainer for years as well, mm. so I was able to lend some of that into you know it's vice versa. Both support each other, and I find that there is. It, it, it actually is intention. So even when you're using the physical body, your intention is just as important as the physical motion mm-hmm. and physical act of what you're trying to get this animal to achieve, if that makes sense. Mm. Is that your experience, Tracy? I don't have a ton of experience with dog training. I actually mostly almost always had cats as far as like my own animals, but I do feel like it is really the energy that they, they are responding to. And like Alfina said, the more that you can bring the whole sensory experience to it, the more the animals are going to respond has been my experience for sure. 
they understand when a, a marriage is not doing particularly well, or there's some strain in the family, or there's uh, some tension in the air. Is that really what they're often responding to if they're not happy or? Sometimes, yes. It can be really varied because animals can be a lot like kids in that way, you know, where they just kind of seem like they absorb all your energy. So animals can definitely take on energy from their humans and mirror things back. Like if there is a lot of anxiety or something like that in the household, they can definitely take that on. But it could also be some some other reason that they might be acting out. So there's not one definitive answer for that. There could be a lot of different reasons for animal behaviors. And yeah, that's one of the things like you really have to go in and, and ask the animal themselves what's, what's going on and not always rely on just how they're acting out physically. So not to be pedantic about communication and, and actual language, but there's this pet talk buttons technology that you can see online and the, the dog goes up and pushes and says, park, treat, uh, where dad, you know, things like that, where they're starting to communicate. And it seems fairly consistent and they seem to know... Um, create phrases or what have you uh does that does that actually translate is it correct are they actually putting together phrases that's a good question i haven't actually had the chance to work with a dog that has these pet talk buttons yet i've seen like a couple of my friends post about it on facebook but i haven't had an actual conversation with a dog about it yet but i feel like Although that's that's a great intention and I do feel like it's a good way for dogs to learn how to communicate with us, it is, does still force them to learn our language mm -hmm. rather than us learning their language and how they communicate. Could either of you kind of just tell us a little bit about a, a, a relationship or a conversation or a, uh, an event with an animal that really hit home? for you or was an extraordinary situation? Um, I do have one actually. Um, and it was actually with, uh, an animal, a dog that I had talked to since he was very young. And this was an experience that after he had passed and I was invited to speak to the entire family with him. And it was very fresh after he had passed crossover and it was very very memorable in the sense that because I knew him and I got to experience the before and after and the validation of what he was trying to communicate with each individual fam family member as I shared what I was picking up, but also feeling my own emotion and connection to him in our relationship and grieving that while I was talking to him while holding space for the family, that was really difficult, but it was also so beautiful to be able to be a part of that experience and to help heal the trauma that had occurred during the time. he It was an accident how he passed. He actually hit a wall and um, he died because of the the impact and what that did to the the the, the humans that were around at the time. So, yeah, I'm not sure if this answers your question. I just, I just know that it was really memorable in the sense that it was kind of all of it, knowing him from at such a young age and having crossed over and, and, and witnessing the grace in how it happened. I guess it also relates to 
this episode as well. Yeah. So what what did the animal need to communicate? Do you remember that? Yeah. The biggest thing I think was that to the younger female that was there, um, because I wasn't there when it happened, um, but I was just told what had happened. And I don't know, I wasn't, of course, sure what everyone was feeling at the time other than, you know, of course, what you would feel experiencing something like that. But the words to her specifically were um, along the lines of, it was like, don't be afraid, but helping to relieve the guilt and fear that she had felt. And as soon as I shared that with her, she just broke down and it was like the permission that she needed to grieve versus carrying mm-hmm. the the guilt that was related to the incident. Mm. And yourself, Tracy, what, any sort of particular story? Yeah, one one cat in particular comes to mind and it, it's also around her, her passing. Uh, her name was Zella and she lived with me for 14 years. And, you know, when she got, when she got sick at the end, this was the, I was becoming fairly proficient at animal communication at that time. And so once it became evident that her physical body could no longer tolerate the illness that was happening, she really laid out how she wanted to die. It was almost like how giving me an instruction notice, like this is, this is how I want things at the house to be. I want to die at home. I want to take this particular homeopathic remedy. Um, and during those last, I don't know, it was maybe two or three weeks where I was, it was essentially hospice care, you know, for her. And I really consider this cat to be one of my main animal communication teachers because during that time, she started to unravel things in her life. Like she and I had been through all kinds of crazy things together, including like a car trip across the country and back. And she started to tell me what her perspective was on all of those things that had happened between us, you know, back in the, those days where I wasn't hearing any of her animal communications at all. And she voiced the things that she was upset about. She told me the things that she was happy about. And I felt like one of her big goals was that there wouldn't be anything left unfinished between us when she died. And that was such a, that was such a blessing to me because so many of us grieve about, you know, or we didn't have enough time to say goodbye or did we do the right thing or anything like that? She just really laid it all out. And she did ask to to pass at home with my husband and I sitting with her. And, you know, we did that. And there was this just huge angelic presence that landed when she was actually transitioning out of her body. And we felt the presence of two of our other cats who had passed away before. Like they, it felt like they were there physically in the room helping Zella like transition out of her body. And a lot of you know ancient cultures and traditions and spiritual traditions feel that the moment of death is very impactful for the future trajectory of the soul, which is a big part of what this episode kind of addresses. And I felt like she really just laid that out and allowed herself to have this perfect death, if you will, 
um, that was so beautiful for her and, and me too. Like, like I look back at that moment and I'm just kind of astounded by the spiritual presence and like angels that seem to be there. So do you mind me asking what it was that she communicated that she was unhappy about and things that she was happy about? What are the <laughs> things that, that make a cat unhappy? What are the things that they ponder? Well, it's, it's funny. She, she pointed out some things that some patterns that I was replaying with her that my mom had played with me, you know? So at that time I was doing a lot of deconstructing of my relationship with my mother and, um, Zella was like, well, do you see how you're doing the same thing that your mom was doing that you were mad? You're doing it to me. Do you see this? And I would, it was, it was, it was just like super eye opening because it was like, Oh, wow. You know, and she was also very not happy about the road trip to California <laughs> and back. She was not happy about that right. at all, for sure. But yeah, it, and there were things too, like, um, bef- so I had Zella before my husband and I met. And when we moved in together, he had two cats and I had two cats. And we tried to kind of ease them into that. But this was before I knew much about animal communication as well. And we did what we could, but they were not happy about integrating with the other cats either. And they ended up like my cats lived in the basement and his cats lived upstairs. And, you know, she wasn't happy about that. So, you know, it was, it was more like she just wanted to get it off her chest is what it felt like. And it just felt like the air was really clear between us when, when she passed. And that, that felt really amazing, actually. So uh, speaking of like this episode and, and the, the focus on the, the, the human uh, aid of helping animals transition into the next world or into the spiritual world, how much do we project our understanding of the universe onto our animals? And how much of, of, of their perception of the world are we neglecting? Are we not really understanding? I did experience a session once where it was very clear that the animal was ready to, to, to go. And I did a few sessions. And to answer your question, in this experience, I was witnessing that the human does have a large impact on the animal spirit in the sense that if they're attaching onto something, the animal, what I've observed, will delay what they need to do for themselves in order to ensure that whatever is being projected onto them by the human is can resolve. So what that means is there is an attachment from the human, which was restricting the animal from moving forward. So they stay to hold space or do whatever it is that they need to do for the human before they can actually go. But once the human, and that that actually became a lot of the work that I was doing with my dog who had passed, is that on this side, I was helping the human let go. And on the other side, then the animal can let go. Mm -hmm. So there's letting go. And it's the form of, I guess, you were saying the word projection. In my experience, it's it's the form of attachment that restricts the ability to move into the connection that they intrinsically have with the universe. Tracy? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like the way you said that. I do, I do feel like sometimes we project our beliefs about things or even 
how we think the animal's acting uh, onto the animal. Like I just had somebody the other day who, well, my dog, he's just so nervous all the time, you know, and, and I asked the dog and he's like, I'm not nervous. I'm just reflecting her, you, you know? So, so sometimes the animals, when we do project our stuff onto them, they'll, they'll like hold up a mirror to us and go, Oh really? Do, don't you see? Mm-hmm. Um, so there can definitely be projection of emotions and, and things onto animals. And I do, the more I do animal communication, the more they kind of reveal their own world um, from a different perspective. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons I, I really like animal communication is being able to get that, that different perspective, uh, being able to step out of the way. What is that perspective? What are you learning that's unique to animals? One of the biggest things is sometimes life is just way simpler than <laughs> we, we want to make it. And um, maybe that's one of the reasons I'm drawn to animals is because life seems so complicated and they have a way of, of making things a little bit more simple. And that brings us a little bit to what Gary, one of Gary's priorities in, in developing this script was the concept of urban encroachment um, and how our human existence, how we develop uh, urban systems, um, drilling, all of these light, all uh, the absence of light or the, the, the use of unnatural light, um, and how that affects the behaviors of animals. Does anyone want to speak to that element of, 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 the, of the script and, and what you've learned through your animals about uh, the unnatural environments that we put them in? Yeah, so I would have to say overall, I have talked to more domestic animals than wild. However, in 2020, I, I did do a lot of conversations with wild animals just mainly for my own curiosity and to do some live streaming on my YouTube channel. But what came to mind was I used to live next to this field where just tons of prairie dogs live there. And they were one of the subjects, like there were two or three that wanted to talk to me on the live stream that I did. And I was telling, telling them about what was going on in the neighborhood because what was happening was in the area where they lived, they were starting to build an apartment complex. But because it was during the pandemic, there was all these um, delays. And so there was all these construction materials that were laid out next to the side of the road where the, where the prairie dogs lived. And they were just so confused. And so I, you know, I promised them, like, as long as I live here, I'll, I'll keep tuning in to, I don't know, there was like a head ambassador. He's like, keep letting me know, let me know what's going on. So, you, you know, he could kind of spread the word to the other animals. And there was another instance where in 2020, we just had a crazy wildfire season here in Colorado. And I happened to talk to like a squirrel and a chipmunk who were affected by the wildfires. And these wildfires were absolutely set by humans. You know, it was somebody being irresponsible. And um, that was the biggest kind of overall thing that I was seeing in the animals I have talked to that where there was this encroachment issue is there was just a lot of confusion. Like what's, what's going on? What do we do? almost this sort of like scurrying feeling. And 
I do feel that in the, in the animals, especially because I do live I'm essentially in the Denver metro area. And so there are different places where, you know, deer just kind of walk into town or, you know, during the pandemic, mountain lions were coming down from the mountains. And overall, it was, I feel like there is quite a bit of confusion in the animal kingdom because they're not being consulted. It's, it's their land. I mean, I feel like that is one of the advantages of animal communication. If, if it can eventually be more widespread is that we can take uh, these animals into consideration when we're building, we can help relocate them to a better place in a way that they understand. Because I do see confusion as being one of the primary emotions happening in animals that are being encroached upon. What is the biggest thing you think we could learn from animals? Yeah, I, I'd say being present in the moment. Animals are so present and it really is how present the human can be also with the animal as to whether they're going to get the animal communication, whether they're going to hear the communication. Animals are just able to kind of be here right now rather than, you know, always thinking towards the future or rehashing the past. I, I feel like that is the biggest lesson that we can learn from animals. Mm. I would agree with that for sure. Yeah. How can we care for our animals better? What is, what is kind of a good takeaway that we were saying, if I just incorporate this a little bit more into my relationship with my pet or wildlife, what do you think that would be? That they're not here to serve us, that we are here to learn from each other in the same way that, you know, this idea of children is that if we pay attention and we listen, we're going to learn something. And it may not come in the form or shape that we might expect, but if we're open, we are definitely bound to receive some sort of information. And it's just that, that we can learn from each other. Yeah, I feel like the biggest thing is remembering that our animal friends are spiritual beings as well. And they're on our journey, just, just like we are. And, you know, for, for people who feel like telepath, telepathic communication is just too hard or it's not real for sure, there are definitely other places to learn about like animal body language or animal psychology, even just having these little bits of knowledge or wisdom can really help enhance how we interact and even communicate with our animals. Mm -hmm. So Tracy, I, I would assume that you have a lot of, um, cause you're online, you're, you're quite prominent online. You must receive a lot of, uh, skepticism or strange comments online. How, yeah. How do you react to that? I totally encourage people to be skeptical. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a weird thing. Right. And I say, don't turn off your logic when it comes to these things, but what I found is that people often who are skeptical have preconceived notions about what it is I'm doing. Like I, I consider myself to be more of a translator for the animals, but if they've assigned this like word of psychic to me that I'm going to be able to predict the future or things like that, it's how I deal with that is I try to really manage like client or people's expectations and be like, look, I'm translating here. I'm, I'm not predicting your future or things like that. And I realized that there's really no scientific proof for telepathic communication, not really. But what kept me going was that the animals that I was communicating with 
changed in some way after talking to them. So it would be like, uh, like some and I, one that comes to mind is um, I worked with these dogs who there were these trees where they lived that dropped these pods that were very poisonous to the dogs. And after we talked with, and the dogs would eat them and they would get sick and throw up. And um, so we talked to the dogs and I explained to them like, Hey, it's these pods that are making you sick. Did you, did you understand that? And they're like, Oh, that's what it is. And so after that, they haven't eaten the pods again since we had this conversation. So Certainly, I encourage people to be skeptical, but you have to look at things that actually change after the communications. Like a lot of times the animals seem happier, uh, they're more relaxed, or like they'll they'll start doing the thing that you ask them to do, like they'll change the behavior. And that's, I guess, how you kind of, I get around the skeptics is like, things do change here. Look, this, look and see, this is what has happened. So... I, I'm assuming that when the animal realizes that you're like understanding their language, they're, you know, when dogs look at you and they, they have a, like a little like, wait, what? <laughs> and their head turn and they're, they're looking at you with great surprise. Like, did you just say bubblegum to me? I'm pretty sure you just understood that I said bubblegum, you know. But and it, it. <laughs> what is that sort of reaction when you really see that they that they're being understood and that there's some form of communication that's unique. Yeah. It's funny. Actually, I get that when I'm walking around a lot, like, and I'll cross somebody who has a dog and I'll hear something the dog says, and they'll, they'll look at me like, oh, you heard me. <laughs> and they'll kind of like try to come up to me or whatever. Yeah. It, it's, it's really, it's kind of beautiful. actually. I bet. Yeah. 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 I know uh, for myself, once I'm invited by the human to communicate, the channels open mm -hmm. and the animal, I, I usually tune in. I do more long distance sessions now. So as soon as that invitation's open, right away, the path is open. So we're communicating and the animal's usually very excited and they can't wait because they're like, finally, someone is here to help me communicate something that they have been having trouble to do. And if I'm doing a follow-up session, literally as soon as it's scheduled, we start conversing right away because it's they're already expecting and they're like, okay, you're coming back. Great. So they expect it. And they're usually generally very excited that they have the ability to access someone who can help them with this. Yeah. I've had a similar thing where a lot of times when I'm first connecting with an animal, they're like, I've been waiting for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, thank you both so much for joining me. This very, very unique and, and fascinating profession and talent. Um, and, and thanks for helping us uh, sound an alarm about our, the well-being of our animals and, and, and making sure that they are taken care of and that we protect our, how we communicate. Um, and uh, if you are interested in learning more about uh, Tracy Pierce, uh, you can take a look at her website at tracy-pierce.com or Alfina Luck uh, at alfinaluck.com. 
as well. And she, uh, Elfina, of course, was Dawn in this episode. And you can always check out her music and all the other uh, amazing things that she is doing artistically. Thank you once again for listening. If you are so inclined, please hit subscribe or send us a review or give us a, a star rating. You can also follow us on our socials at Sound the Alarm MT. You can also join the conversation on Facebook at Theatre for the Ears. And otherwise, I hope you have a great day and thank you for listening. Thank you.